Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Authorities have been chipping away at the Wood Street encampment in West Oakland for months. It went from 300 people at its peak to now just 60. And one last final eviction there is coming. It's leaving those who are left really anxious. Some of them have lived there for more than a decade. So for many, it's the end of an era. We can't just go around a corner and just like, once again, we're here. You know what I mean? Like, it took 10 years for us to get to this point. Residents of Wood Street spent years building an organized and self-sustaining community. And now, who's left of that community is worried about what's next and how they're going to rebuild. Today, the final eviction of the Wood Street encampment. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. the larger Wood Street settlement was truly massive. I mean, it stretched for more than a mile along Wood Street. Erin Baldessari is a housing and affordability correspondent for KQED. You could think about the Wood Street Commons as kind of a neighborhood of sorts within what was once a little informal city, honestly. There's meeting areas, there's a communal kitchen, there's some porta potties, a hand washing station, a free store. Um, so there's a bunch of resources that are still there for residents. Some folks have been there for over a decade. So it's, you know, just one of the more established parts of the sort of larger Wood Street settlement, the bulk of which was cleared out uh, last fall. The Wood Street Commons is really the southern end of that. And so heading north along Wood Street, there were RVs and trailers and makeshift dwellings. 
most of that is gone. I mean, all of the stuff that was north of them is now just dirt. I mean, I feel like people have probably heard about this encampment. It was, um, as we were just saying, at one point, the largest in Oakland. It went from 300 people to now the remaining 60. And I feel like this is kind of the end of an era, right? It really is. I mean, you know, it was really the last place to go for a lot of folks who had nowhere else to go. I think a common thing that people told me was that, you know, if they had been evicted from other encampments in Oakland, informally, police officers and outreach workers told people to come to Wood Street. And so it was kind of this this refuge, um, in part because, you know, it's in an industrial part of West Oakland. You know, there weren't a lot of homes, you know, super close to it. So it just kind of got left alone for a really long time. That neglect from the city and from Caltrans, which owned a bulk of the land that the Wood Street settlement was on, really allowed folks to develop a bunch of resources there. I mean, folks were able to create connections with nonprofits and volunteers who spent a lot of time um, just getting to know folks there. And when I was there last Thursday, someone was dropping off food, medical clinics come by, Operation Dignity comes by with showers. Uh, so it was really um, kind of a, a hub of resources for a lot of folks as much as it was a home. Yeah. And that sort of resource hub that you were just describing, I feel like, is what made Wood Street unique. But of course, the story we're talking with you about today is about the sort of final eviction of the last of the Wood Street encampment. When you went there, what was the mood? I would say that a lot of folks, they knew this was coming, so they weren't surprised. But there was just a, a profound sadness at the loss of something that has meant so much to a lot of the residents there. And it's kind of a, a disappointment that what folks feel like they had accomplished at the Wood Street Commons wasn't being recognized by the city. They really see themselves as unique, not just for the amount of resources that they were able to develop, but because they created a real sense of safety. I'm afraid of, of what's going to happen to people if we're not here. That was something that Masood Saberi, he's, he's known as Moose, um, talked to me about. He's one of the earliest residents of Wood Street, and he uh, really helped develop this community there. I'm thinking back, and it's almost difficult to, I'm thinking back to when I was lost, and when I was um, looking for that foundation or, or that... Sorry. That comfort. Um, I was lucky enough to experience it, so... I pray it's not lost. Um, and so, you know, he talked to me about just the sense of community that was there. When you take um, everyone's uh, skills and talents and what they have to offer, and instead of just hanging out there in the wind by yourself, kind of having the shelter of each other's care and each other's abilities to provide more than what you had by yourself. And I think we're going to take that same sentiment and uh, hope the wind doesn't blow us down and we're together.
let's step back a little bit, Erin. What exactly is the city of Oakland planning to do on Monday, April 10th? We expect the city to show up, uh, you know, folks from Department of Public Works and their Homeless Services uh, Division and begin clearing people out. So there will be, you know, most likely uh, some heavy construction equipment coming to remove vehicles, to remove trash, to remove people's belongings. The city expects that clearing this site will continue over the course of two weeks. Ultimately, the city wants to clear this land so that it can begin to build affordable housing there. City officials bought the land back in 2007. Building plans were stalled for years, but now the city has a developer. And they say they want to clear the land to begin developing 170 units of affordable rental and for sale units. And I mean, ultimately, this means that all 60 of the folks still at Wood Street are going to have to find another place to go. So what has the city of Oakland offered to the people who are being forced to move from Wood Street? Yeah, so the city got a grant, uh, rather two grants last year, totaling a little over $8 million to build a temporary tough shed site a few blocks away. It's also on Wood Street. Tough sheds are essentially tool sheds, um, you know, the kind that you get at Home Depot. They're supposed to go up quickly and be relatively inexpensive. There are showers on site. There's electricity and uh, running water. The city is also offering folks spots in a new safe RV parking spot in East Oakland. Uh, And it says that it also is offering folks spaces in congregate shelters throughout the city. What do people that you talked with think about these offerings from the city? You know, there's a lot of um, mixed opinions. A lot of people who live at Wood Street don't consider themselves homeless because they have a home. They have a trailer. They have an RV. They're not sleeping in a tent or, you know, in a in a doorway. And so they feel like those, you know, the tough sheds, those resources should go to someone who has less than them. I think the the biggest thing to note is that going into the tough sheds means that you have to give up your trailer and, you know, asking people to give up this home that they know and move into a tough shed is really, you know, scary. Typical stays at the tough sheds last between three to six months. And the idea is that folks would then be able to move on to permanent housing. But we know from from the data that that just doesn't happen very often. Only about a third of the people who have gone into these tough sheds in Oakland have actually made it into permanent housing. The majority of folks remain homeless. And so that means that at the end of this, if they don't get housing, they could be back out on the streets and then they wouldn't have their trailer. So that, you know, is just kind of a non-starter for a lot of folks. I mean, we all knew, well, we all figured it was coming. I spoke to Jared Defy, who did accept an offer of the Tough Sheds back when he was evicted from the larger Wood Street settlement in September. He stayed at the uh, Mandela site, and he just had a really negative experience there. But they don't want to actually serve the underserved. They just want to keep them under their boot in a very controlled manner. You know, it was cold. Uh, They had very little insulation. He was only able to bring in a little 
you know, a few belongings. And so he felt like he didn't, you know, wasn't quite prepared for the weather. Um, he said he could see his breath there in the morning. And, you know, he had, uh, you know, brought up some complaints with the staff that weren't addressed. Um, he felt like the services he was being offered weren't very tailored to his needs. And so he actually left the tough sheds and came back to the Wood Street Commons. That's why if we all decided to go there together, I'd be willing to go through that, even though I really don't want to. It makes my skin crawl. But we'd still have each other like that. And we'd be there with the intention of finding someplace for us to go afterwards. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of the reason sort of behind the skepticism around these tough sheds is that there's a little bit of a sense of a like a loss of a- autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... The other thing about the tough sheds is that they come with more rules and regulations. The program agreement that folks have to sign to in order to get keys to move in is like six pages long. You can be kicked out for all kinds of infractions, you know, including carrying a pocket knife. Mm-hmm. You know, folks there built a very self-sustaining community. So submitting yourself to being policed, you know, just feels you know, not only unnecessary to them, but also just very patronizing. And they still, you know, have a, a fence around in a guard and you have to, not buzzed in, but you know what I mean. Still treated basically borderline criminal. It reminds me of a guy that I met at when I was staying at the Mandela Community Cabins who quite unironically and happily said, better than prison. <laughs> And it's true, it is better than prison. But, God, what a standard for a human being to state. The other option of moving to an RV safe parking spot in East Oakland is also not appealing to a lot of folks because that would mean moving far away from their community. The last option of moving into a congregate shelter site is kind of worse than either option. You have all the rules and regulations of being in a shelter, as well as, you know, a lot of places don't let you stay there during the day. You check in at a certain time to be able to get your bed at night. Whether they're moving into a congregate shelter or into the tough sheds, they really have to get rid of a lot of their possessions. And that can be really difficult for folks who are living with very few resources, asking them to give up the few resources and and belongings that they have in order to accept this help is kind of a tall order. I mean, all that said, are there people who have decided to accept some of the city's offerings, including the tough sheds? Yes, there, there have been folks who have accepted these offers Some folks are living there right now. And then kind of prominently, um, John Janosko is moving in there. He is one of the leaders of the Wood Street Commons. He helps organize folks there. He often speaks to the media. So he's a little bit more well-known. And, you know, he's not trying to encourage other people to join him necessarily, but he does see the Tough Sheds as a potential opportunity for the folks at the Commons. It is some relief because now it's like, okay, well, we're forced to get into the next mode, whoever wants to be in the next mode, whatever the next mode is. Um, On short term, just trying to stabilize us so we can figure out what we're going to do. 
one of the things that John said to me that really stuck out was that you need stability. And from stability, you can do everything else in life. And so I think that's what they're looking for. We can't do shit if we don't have a place to be, to do what we do, to live. If we don't have a place to live, then there is nothing. I guess it just feels so uncertain and almost like the odds are stacked against these folks in terms of keeping this community that they had built. I don't know, it just feels so uncertain. Yeah, I think I think you said it. There is just a lot of uncertainty. Again, folks are hopeful that they will be able to maintain their community moving forward. Folks who don't have reliable access to electricity, who don't have a stable place to live, who don't have access to kind of the basic human needs like water and food. Like it's really hard to get people organized because you have to spend so much time and energy just dealing with your everyday necessities, you know, very understandably. So the fact that you know, folks have been able to organize themselves um, and not only kind of stabilize their own situation, but develop resources for other people is remarkable. What really distinguishes Wood Street is just the longevity, the size, and, you know, it is a pretty robust network of resources and help that they've been able to put together. And so folks are just are, are sad about about losing that. I mean, like, ultimately, what is it that they want? They want trust from the city, from the public, that they can manage their own lives, that they have autonomy, that they know what's best for themselves and can act on what's best for themselves, and that the best thing to do and the best way to support them is to listen to them. You know, their wildest hope and dream would be to have a plot of land that they could put some trailers on, put some uh, tiny homes on, RVs, and just, you know, build it out and be able to live their lives. And I think that's kind of what we're all asking for, right, is just a, a place where we can exist and live. Erin, thanks so much. Thank you. For those listening who want to know how to help the remaining residents of the Wood Street Commons, Erin says residents would love for people to show up on Monday to bear witness and support those facing eviction. So that means, you know, like helping people pack their stuff up or, you know, if someone has a truck um, and can help move things, I think they would love that um and so if you have some time uh, i think one one way that you can support people at wood street is to show up that was aaron baldessari a housing and affordability correspondent for kqed this 31 minute conversation with aaron was cut down and edited by producer maria esquinka and me our intern jalen herdman scored this episode and added all the tape our senior editor is alan montecilio the Bay is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Talk to you next time.
Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.